bike maintenance and roadworthiness of cycles. This is Wheel Life. Legal reflections on vulnerable road users. The podcast where two experienced lawyers, who also happen to be enthusiastic cyclists, chat their way through topics concerning cyclists and other vulnerable road users from a legal and insurance perspective. Hi, I'm Caroline Hall of DAC Beachcross Solicitors. And I'm Emily Formby of 39 Essex Chambers. Today, we're going to be talking about bike maintenance and roadworthiness of cycles. And we've got a friend with us, Nick Brown, who is the CEO of Have Bike. I've known Nick, oh, I don't think I actually want to say how long I've known you. Um, <laughs> Nick used to be a solicitor at our firm before he took his love of bikes and turned it into something else. Um, he's also a friend of Emily's. Yeah, I came across Nick not realising at first that he was a solicitor um, when he came up with the wheeze of going to people's offices and mending their bikes during the day. And in fact, I had a pupil and I was gurning on about the fact that my bike needed maintenance and I never had time to go. And she said, phone Nick. So I did. And it's been looking after, well, I think we now have 12 bikes, all our bikes ever since. <laughs> well, thank you very much for that wonderful intro, both. Uh, Caroline, I met you in 2001. That's, uh, <laughs> that's how long ago it was when I started uh, my work as a lawyer in Bristol, in the Bristol office. Um, yeah, and uh, then left the law in 2010. Well, I have a feeling it was about 2011 or 12 that you first started maintaining my bike. So it's very nice to have you along with us today. Thank you. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Love to see your bikes in, including the tandem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, including that tandem. So do you want to explain to us what your idea behind Have Bike was? Because obviously, as you just said, that's 10 years in the making now. And obviously, the last year has seen a revolution as in bikes and people's attitudes towards them. But um, I'm assuming you're going to say you were ahead of the curve. <laughs> well, what first sort of piqued my interest was when I, I moved to London and I actually started cycling to work myself and the, the cycle to work scheme was just starting to get popular and, and it struck me how many more people were riding to work and, and actually buying these expensive bikes. You know, you, with the, the bike to work scheme as it was then, you could buy a bike up to £1,000. So lots of people buying nice bikes, £1,000, but nobody actually knew how to look after them. Um, and having been a cyclist for years, I, I knew that the requirements of bikes, to, yeah, they needed maintaining, things wore out, brake pads, chains. Um, and then when I'd gone to my local bike shop to actually get my bike serviced, um, it's one up on Ludgate Circus, I remember going in on my lunch hour with my commuter bike and was horrified when I'd gone in there expecting I could get my bike serviced there and then to be told, no, sorry, there's a two-week waiting list, you need to book now. Um, and obviously working um, as we do quite hard in the city, um, I felt I'd wasted my time um, on my lunch break doing that. And that's when I realised that there was something there. Originally, I was thinking about teaching people to fix their bikes, which then it quickly um, moved to uh, actually fixing their bikes for them through this the mobile on-site offering where we're going into the companies fixing people's bikes. Yeah, and do you find that uh, people know how to look after their bikes in general? I think if you've if you've grown up with bikes and always used bikes, people do know that bikes do need maintenance. Um, it is still surprising people that don't have any idea that a bike does have wear, um, consumable parts, parts wear out. Um, for some reason, I think people bikes have been classed as a toy rather than actually a vehicle, um, and it's changing that mindset and getting people to understand in the same way you need to keep your car maintained, 
you need to keep your bicycle maintained. And I think that message is, is getting through. And especially now people are spending more money on bicycles. Yeah. When we, when I was um, training for Bristol to Paris, one of the girls I was riding with, she was on about one of the other guys. And she said, well, he took his bike into the bike shop because his chain had gone brown and he couldn't understand why his chain had gone brown. They never told him he had to do anything with the bike once he bought it. Yeah, I think that's interesting. That's something that has changed. <clears throat> now, if you buy a bike, the... Uh, the vendor will offer often offer a maintenance plan at the time that you buy it. Whereas, um, I mean, and, and in some ways, it's a it's a good way of sort of upselling and keeping you engaged. But on the other hand, you know, when I was when I was younger, you just buy a bike and wheel it off, and they'd wave you off and expect never to see you again. So I think that um, that's definitely a change. That sense of a sort of ongoing responsibility to keeping your kit in good shape. Absolutely. Well, it's well, it's legal requirement as well that you've got. Well, you must ensure that your brakes are efficient and and that your bike is roadworthy at the time. And I think you were telling us some horror stories of um, people when they've brought the bikes into you, the conditions of them. Absolutely, and and it's, it never ceases to amaze me. We'll we'll get um, uh, repair bookings to come in in the workshop. Sometimes it's puncture repair. And we actually have to refuse to do the job because whilst the, the bike's got a puncture, it's also not actually got functioning brakes. So you know, from a, a moral point of view, we can't put that bike back on the road knowing that it actually can't stop. But also, like you say, Caroline, from a, a legal perspective, you know, if, if that bike was to, to knock somebody over um, and actually kill them, you could be looking at manslaughter, really. Um, it is a requirement of the, the Highway Code and the Road Traffic Act to, to have the functioning brakes. Um, and make sure the tyres are inflated, the gears work. But I suppose most of the time people aren't really aware that there's something wrong. Um, and I mean, there may be a few people that, that refuse to mend their bikes, but I would have thought by and large, uh, if you get to look at their bike, they're kind of either horrified or very relieved that you're looking after it for them. Absolutely. And it, again, it's, a, it's being that trusted advisor and, and showing people, a bit like when you go into some of the... Um, like quick fits, for example, it's always great when you go into a car garage and they will actually take you around the car and show you what they're, they're telling you you need to replace in. Um, and we, we take the same approach with bikes to show the customer we're not just trying to sell you something for the sake of it. This is a genuine uh, safety concern or, or we're just trying to help you save money in the longer term. If, if you're, you, you, your chain looks like it's going to be on the way out, it's better to replace it now. Otherwise, it will wear the whole drivetrain and it'll be a really costly um, yeah. repair in the future. And so you're um, on the on the ground, so to speak. Um, have you? We've all heard the anecdotes about the exponential rise of cycling uh, and the rise of cycling in London and the kind of move to bikes in the last year or so. What, what's your experience of that? Um, it, it has been like I think COVID has been a, a catalyst for the general trend towards um, an increase in, in bicycle use. Anyway. I mean, even before COVID, there was the Deloitte report that was predicting cycle use would double anyway. Um, and, um, you know, since, since 2010, really, like people like Transport for London have been putting in place uh, infrastructure, the segregated cycle lanes. Obviously, it started with the blue paint, but it's got a lot better. So there was already these, um, these factors that incre help increase cycling. Um, and COVID's just come along and, and really just given us a, a turbocharge um, and now we are absolutely seeing that the, the cycle take-up has been immense to the point where I speak to um, uh, people in the industry on a daily basis where the concern now is there are just not enough bikes to sell. Um, the, the Far East can't produce them fast enough. The shops don't have any in stock. 
Um, so it's going to be quite an interesting year this year for um, the availability of bicycles themselves. Yeah, well, anecdotally, we, um, my, my, we've always been cyclists, as you know. Um, and this summer, uh, my son had grown a little bit more, so we got him a bike. His birthday's in July. Uh, we, he, he wanted a particular Trek bike. We located one in the entire country uh, up in Lincolnshire. So uh, his birthday treat was tri- <laughs> driving quite a long way uh, in order to get him a new bike. Uh, but uh, that was the only one in the country. Blimey, okay. Which, which track bike was that one? Uh, it's an e-bike, actually. It's right, um, okay. a mighty, mighty joyous beast. <laughs> um, and I was saying uh, to Caroline on an earlier episode, um, the great thing is he's now big enough that I could ride it too. Um, um, and uh, all, all, th- all, uh, all of us in the family can use it. And um, it's transformed my view of cycling in the Alps, let me put it that way. <laughs> well, I'm not to try not to stray off topic too much, but I think that, the e-bike revolution has really hit home, and but not just that; it's um, it's bringing back the, the the mountain biking trend that we, if you saw uh, back in the nineties when mountain biking first took off, then it's, it slowly dropped. The the um, uh, the electric motors on mountain bikes are really causing a resurgence. Um, we've seen some of the forecasts that we're seeing over in the states are just off the chart, really. Um, and like I say, for the Alps now, there's. There are specific areas and valleys that have got their own e-bike um, uh, slopes. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. So that that uh, we we experienced that this summer. I mean, this it, it, it's an e-mountain bike, and uh, yeah. it's it's amazing. Great fun, <laughs> I, mean, I, I definitely signed up to that trend. Yeah, it really is. And I am not a I am not a fearless person. I don't like <laughs> I don't like mountain biking, but I love that bike. Yeah. Anyway, that's slightly off topic. Uh, but interesting nonetheless. Um, but I think the other thing actually about e-bikes and about general commuting is it also um, it makes it seem possible. And I think one of the things that's really interesting about um, the, the sort of cycling revolution, see what I did there, um, is that um, way in which um, you can start people cycling and if they start as kids and they carry on and it's easy, easy. But I, I mean, I notice even, you know, I cycle all the time and commute cycling you stop for a little bit and it seems quite a hard thing to do again um but with an e-bike you sort of have it's like having that kind of hand in the back of your you know the hand in your back that it's you're not on your own <laughs> this you, you've got yeah. some help out there and it, i think it just tips the balance between it becoming arduous and it becoming doable and i think it's a real way forward for getting significant numbers of people selecting to choosing to cycle over a car particularly for short journeys for commuting journeys for carrying stuff you know you don't have that extra weight to carry um and and you can see the product range has it's gone from being a sort of top end um sort of performance thing to i mean just looking at the range of bikes that one could possibly buy if they were available you know to kind of ordinary shoppers that have just got a little battery attached and just you know turn them into um, something that's easy to use for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, my my mum, who um, turned seventy this year, she's actually just bought herself a, a QB bike, um, and she absolutely loves it. They they live up in um, in Yorkshire, so you can imagine the hills up there. Um, yeah. And she's absolutely delighted with it. Um, she's been off, off bikes for a while when they moved over to where they'd moved to. It was a lot hillier than where they'd moved from, um, so she gave up cycling. But now with this e bike, she's just loving it, and she can get around. Yeah, there's definitely an increase of them in Bristol. You you both know how hilly Bristol is. Yeah. Um, and I live at the bottom, top of a very steep hill. So when I'm 
breaking myself getting home and there's a little old guy who overtakes me every single time going it's an e-bike it's an e-bike <laughs> just, so just so I don't get too disheartened by him overtaking me um, but I'm assuming in terms of um, your maintenance and everything you maintain e-bikes is there anything specific you need to look out for if you're maintaining an e-bike versus a normal bike um, with e-bikes, with the the motor unit is now um, uh, located in the, the in the sort of bottom bracket area, whereas in the past, the, the in the older models, they used to be in the rear wheel, uh, which had a, a lot of downsides to it. So it was much better they moved to that that uh, bottom bracket area. But this does result in a, an increased amount of torque going through the drivetrain, so it can wear the the chain a lot quicker. Um, so it's even more important that you are not doing what we call cross-chaining. Um, so if you've got the um, several sprockets at the front um, and multiple at the rear, you should never ride in that that small, small or big, big combination um, because that could that'll wear the chain out a lot quicker on a on an e-bike. Um, and of course, just general chain wear is more um, general chain care is more important with the e-bike because of that. So cleaning it more regularly, oiling it more regularly. And then just general battery care. Uh, don't try not to keep it in the cold all the time. Bring it inside. Make sure it's regularly charged, depleted, charged, depleted. Um, in the same way you do with your iPhone, they're the, probably the big, the big two ones we'd say for, for looking after e-bikes. Other than that, it's it's just a bicycle. It's just a bicycle with some assistance. And in terms of normal bikes, then what what are your top tips? Um, and how regularly should it? be maintained um bearing in mind i've just looked when mine was last done and uh, it probably needs doing <laughs> um, i'm sorry to give you one of those it depends answers um so let's start with how regularly you should maintain your bike as a general rule of thumb at least once a year if if you're just a, a sporadic user and it's sitting in the shed one of one of the biggest things that we we saw um, in um, lockdown were all these bikes being pulled out of of the shed and they'd not been looked after. They were just covered in dirt and dust. Um, the chains were rusty. Um, so yeah, at least have that that annual maintenance regime. Um, then it depends how often you ride it. So if you're somebody that is riding to work, you're using it on a weekly basis. We'd certainly suggest a, a quarterly to, or biannually servicing um, a, a regular service and then still have your full service at the end of the year. Um, with the e-bikes, it's a little bit better because you can actually have um, you, uh, you have your mileage recorded on, on it and you can set the uh, servicing um, regime on that. Um, so we, we tend to see a, an e-bike every 1,000 miles um, is what we, we program into it. Um, Top tips, again, uh, from experience of lockdown, the amount of bikes that came into the workshop that had just been left in the garage in the shed, what happens is the tyres deflate and then the weight of the bike just sits on the depressurised tyres and it causes the cracks to form around the edge of the tyre. So it basically, it just ruins the tyres. So you really must keep your tyres inflated. If you're running a road bike, I mean, Personally, I inflate my tyres on my road bike once a week if I'm using it regularly. Um, if it's your, your general commuter bike, definitely be checking at least once a month that your tyre is inflated to the correct pressure, which you can find on the sidewall of the tyre. It will give you a, a little pressure range in PSI. Um, and what, what we say to a customer, if it says, for example, 50 to 70 PSI, put 60 PSI in it um, and just see how that feels for you and, and increase it or decrease it as you feel. 
And other than tyre pressure, if um, obviously the other main thing that's uh, going to be of concern and particularly of safety is brakes. So if you're taking your bike out in the morning um, and you're not adept at changing your own tyre blocks or whatever it may be, um, what should people do to check that their, their bike's safe or that their brakes are going to be safe before they set off and have to put it to the test? So there's something that we call the M check. Um, you might have heard of it. it it's, um, it's it's something in the the industry. It's certainly in the, the professional side of cycling and fleet side. And yes, before you ever ride your bike, the first thing you should do is do the M check, which is a very basic check, which, funnily enough, forms the shape of the the M on the bicycle. So starting with the front wheel, check that the tire is inflated, check it's seated correctly in there, that the quick release is tight. Um, then moving up to the um, Moving up to the handlebars, check that the front brake works by just literally pulling the brake, rocking the bike forwards and backwards and seeing if the wheel moves while you've depressed the brake. Moving down to the, um, the, the pedals, just make sure that the, the pedals uh, are intact and that there's no, uh, the cranks are not loose. So that, that's the bit that's attached to the pedals. Um, and just check that it, it, uh, it pedals correctly. Just lift the, lift the bike up and, and pedal and just make sure that the pedals make the, uh, the rear wheel spin around. Up to the saddle. Check the saddle, it's not loose, it's the correct height. Um, and then to the back brake, again, just that's that same same check, pull the pull the back brake and just literally rock the bike backwards and forwards and see if the uh, the brake is effective on that on that that wheel. Um, and it's also worth this as an extra check, ride the bike and see if the brakes work. Because even though if you've checked it when you're standing still, the brakes appear to work, they might not be as effective when you're riding along just because of that additional force. Great, that, that's really helpful. Um, one other thing that I was thinking about, because um, we see them increasingly on the London streets, um, is the bikes that you can hire. So either the Boris bikes, um, not that Boris bike, but the Boris bikes that we can hire now, um, and, uh, and or the electric bikes, uh, the Lime bikes, uh, or the jump bikes, I think they're being taken over by Lime. Um, what, what's the sort of standard of maintenance for those? How confident can users be um, that if they, they you know, pay and go, that they're going to get a bike that's going to be roadworthy? Um, well, we can uh, speak with some experience on the Boris bikes because we've got, we're not allowed to call them Boris bikes anymore, of course. It's Santander Cycles. So that's just harking <laughs> uh, yeah, back to uh, the days when we were first involved with it. Um, but they, the, 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 um, the London Cycle Hire Scheme, which are the ones that are branded up with the Santander delivery, um, they are actually run, um, run, well, it's TFL, Transport for London Scheme, but then that's operated by a private sector provider. And they have got some very, very stringent uh, KPIs, so key performance indicators in, in terms of making sure those bikes are safe to ride. Um, so it is, it is a very good standard that Transport for London set. Um, they're very, you know, safety is key for them. Um, and so if you take a, uh, the Santana cycle out, you can be pretty sure that it has been maintained to a, a good industry standard. Um, and they also have a very good system that if you have to be riding the bike and you do find a problem with it, when you dock the bike, you can press the little red button where the spanner is just to ask, say that this bike should be locked in, it's not safe. The, the, the newer entrance into the market, um, to the dockless providers, um, we've seen in the past, so the days of Mobike and Ofo um, and Linebike, they're, they're starting to follow the similar uh, regime that the uh, London Cycle Hire Scheme bikes have done. It's, it's to be expected. Um, and Transport for London, they, they do set out some, some guidelines that what the private sector operators should follow. Yeah, I'm conscious of not being too sort of London-centric because we did see a time of, obviously, the the 
Boris bikes or the Santander bikes have, have been a great scheme and, and have been successful and rolled out. But we've seen variable success in other cities around the country. Um, and, and, and I know that they've sort of had had schemes that have that have started and failed. So the Mo bike was rolled out in Oxford and then it was withdrawn. And um, I mean that 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 seems to be something that's um, not not flourishing quite as readily as one might have anticipated. I don't know, what's it like in Bristol, Caroline? Um, I don't know anymore. Um, we had a scheme, I can't remember what the name of the scheme is, they're yellow bikes, and they seemed to be all over the place when they first started, and now you just find them abandoned on the cycle path here and there, and you don't see them in the same numbers. So I don't actually know if the scheme in Bristol is still technically running, or if it is. As I said, there's just the odd bike that's been repurposed and is somewhere else. Yeah. The, the private sector providers, there has definitely been a retreat that was sort of, it took place in 2018. But the good news is that we will be seeing cycle schemes, uh, higher schemes in Birmingham, uh, Manchester, um, that will be following the same um, structure as the uh, the London scheme. So our understanding is that both will be operated by the same operator of the London scheme. They'll be using the Pashley cycles that are used in London um, and, and following that similar structure. So I think we should see a bit more of a, a robust scheme operating in, in both cities. Yeah, because it does seem that sort of that short hop scenario um, yeah. You know, making grabbing a bike as easy as jumping on and off the bus is is a sort of good way forward. The very first time I saw it was in um, Tromso up in, in Norway, right on the edge of the Arctic Circle or just over the Arctic Circle. And they didn't bother to lock the bikes up at all because once you left Tromso, there was about a thousand square miles of ice before you found anywhere else. So they didn't have to, <laughs> to worry too much about them going walkabout. But I remember at the time, and that was um, many, many years ago, looking at it and thinking what an amazing idea it would be. And it, it it does seem to have been a relatively slow takeoff around around the country, other than the the, the sort of very specific example of London. I mean, the jump bikes. I don't know if either of you tried them, but they do show that. Wow! If we can turn the like the London cycle high scheme into an electric scheme, I think the take up is going to be absolutely massive. I, and the first time I rode one, I took it from King's Cross down to Elephant and Castle, and I did it in a third of a time I could have done it in an Uber car. Um, and it is, again, it's that electric bike breaking down the barriers, easy to use. Um, so I think it's quite exciting when. Yeah, the jump higher. bike is a mighty beast. Yeah, it I mean, is, it's yeah. it's it's about twice the pace of a line bike. Sort of the first time I got on one of those, it literally sort of shot off and left me sitting on my bottom. It was just went it just went like the clappers. They're great and they're very robust. And they've got a the other thing about them is they've got a very big carrier. I mean, it might just be me, but I seem to be carting stuff around all the time. And one of the real difficulties of of using a bike is being able to carry stuff um and the jump bike's got that massive kind of uh, front holder and of course when it's electric and powered you don't care <laughs> just Absolutely. load it up and go so do we think that the e-scooter trials that are obviously about to start in london we've already got them in bristol and they're all around the country are going to have an impact on higher bike schemes because this seems to be the new shiny thing to do from a personal opinion and from what I've read, I think the e-scooters will be beneficial to cycling because the type of infrastructure that we'll need for the e-scooters is exactly what the, the, the cycles need. So segregated lanes, um, safer streets, quieter streets. Um, you know, Nobody likes a, a van going past you at 40 miles an hour when you're on a, on a scooter or a bike, you're very vulnerable. Um, so I think we, we will see some, some improvements to the road network because of it. Um, and also the scooter, I think the scooter 
to me, I've actually used them um, on private land, of course. Um, uh, and it is really for short journeys. It's, it, it's, you could see a scooter replacing your walk from home to the tube station Mm-hmm. rather than from that longer commute of, let's say, five miles you would take on a bicycle. I think there's still definitely a place for a bicycle and probably more an electric bicycle for the longer longer distances. Um, so I think, yeah, the, the scooters will be great. They'll, it'll cover those short distances, but I think they'll be complementary rather than competitive to like, cycling and, and cycle higher. Yeah, I suppose it feeds into what Emily was just saying. You can't really carry anything on a scooter either. Um, and if you're commuting through London, trying to carry papers or a laptop, you can't really do it on a, uh, an e-scooter. Yeah. yeah. I think they're also quite tiring to ride for a long time. I mean, there's, there's that sort of element of standing up, balancing and using those core cool muscles. I mean, you know, whatever else on a bike, you do get a bit of a sit down. <laughs> <laughs> and, and with an e-bike, you, uh, people say you're cheating, but you're not cheating. You, are still, you still have to pedal to get that motor working. So you're still having a workout. Um, oh it's the kind of cheating i love all i'm really <laughs> really looking forward to is if once you get a jump bike if it starts to make you a coffee at the same time then i really will never get off again <laughs> but if the uh, jump bikes are as powerful as you say they are um and you who ride bikes regularly found it a bit of a a kick um are we worried about people getting on them and uh, falling off or going straight into traffic at speed well they're certainly a lot heavier um, mm. So they could probably do more damage. Um, obviously, the, the classic one in um, in city centres is when you've got the line of traffic and the, the cycles going down down the side, and the pedestrian, you know, possibly engrossed on their phone or reading or something, is walked straight through the traffic into the front of the, the cyclist. It, it could actually hurt them. Um, uh, the electric bike being ridden into one as opposed to a normal bike, um, but they are fitted with bells, so just you know what I do when I'm driving in in, um, in those kind of situations is just flick my bell as I'm going along just to make people aware of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Um, sort of my observation is that on the one hand, the e-bikes, they do, they do go quite fast. Um, and once you, you know, once you crack on, you can, you can get from A to B in a lot less time than you might anticipate. But slightly the position of them, you're quite upright, you're quite sort of sitting up. Um, you always sort of feel like you're on a bit of a sort of afternoon outing. Um, whereas the kind of, um, the more um, streamlined road bike, race bikes, and you see the kind of, you know, the Lycra devil who's got his kind of, or her, but generally him, but has got their Strava, you know, set up to kind of, you know, beat their personal best and they've got their head down. I think, I think for my money, my anecdotal observation would be um, they're still more um, either at risk to themselves or, or to others um, um, and actually go faster And once they get cracking um, because they've got a sort of um, uh, aim. Whereas um, there's a sort of, there's something about the e-bike that even though it does, when you put your foot down, it goes, they, they still have an air of sort of pootling about them um, that, that, that is sort of missing um, that I, I don't think you really, well, famous last words. Let's see, shall we? Uh, what unfolds over the next few episodes? But but I, I I don't feel they go that they they're likely to go quite as fast or be quite as hazardous as you might anticipate. Well, absolutely right. Because although they do have that initial kick when you take off from the standing start, they still are speed restricted. And that's part of the regulations that require them to, to the speeds cap. Speaking miles per hour, because that's what we know in the UK. So it's fifteen point six miles an hour, um, and you can't actually get the motor to assist you anymore. Obviously, if you were to freewheel down a hill, it would go faster. 
but generally, yeah, you can't go and get the e-bikes going faster than 15.6 miles an hour. Now, there are e-bikes out there. People have retrofitted engines on them. <laughs> um, we, there are people, naughty people, chipping e-bikes to um, allow them to go faster than what they're intended. Um, but we do know that there is a, a police team that's very hot on this, and you can get in quite a lot of trouble if you're caught with a, an e-bike that actually doesn't follow the rules of the highway code because then it, it, it goes into the category of basically being a, a motorbike for which you need to be make sure you are wearing a helmet. It's got to have a number plate. You've got to have insurance. So, yeah, you can, you can get quite a few fines from where for using a, an illegal e-bike. On which happy note, <laughs> well, children, as you tuck up in bed with your Horlicks, remember, <laughs> be careful about your e-bike. No, well, thanks for joining us today, Nick. Have you got anything else you'd like to um, mention? I'd say, obviously, encourage people to make sure that the bikes are, are well looked after. Um, we are going into a very strange 2021 where we're going to be seeing a shortage of a lot of component parts um, in the industry. Um, component parts wear out if you don't look after them. So the more you can make sure your bike's looked after, make sure you give it a regular clean, use a lubrication, have it serviced you know, at least once a year, possibly twice this year. Um, and that way you can just make your components last a bit longer because otherwise you can find that your, your, your bike will be off the road. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I think I might just have to book my bikes in for a bit of a service. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank but, you very much for the invite. And lovely speaking to you both. Lovely to see you great to chat. Thanks, Thanks so much. Nick. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Wheel Life is brought to you by international law firm DAC Beechcraft and Barrister's Chambers, 39 Essex Chambers. Discover more articles, podcasts and webinars over at dacbeechcraft.com and 39essex.com.